That's a Jesus Christ lizard, for those of you who do not know why we show a lizard running. I don't know what that has to do with God, but it's pretty cool. I got some real ringing up here. There we go. I'm pretty sure it's Lisa's fault. Okay. You need to get to that. You need to go to that, that pre-marriage class, honey. So, <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, so, um, if you're a guest today, thanks for your tolerance for our carrying on. I love my wife, and we play a little bit. I have this habit. I love the book of Proverbs, and before I get into the message of the day, I always like to just give a proverb that's taken from today's date and chapter. So today being the 24th, I chose verse 5. Be, being wise is better than being strong. Yes, knowledge is more important than strength. Wow, that's a good one. Today we're starting a new uh, series from the book of Haggai. And uh, if you're wondering, well, how do you actually pronounce that? A lot of people pronounce it Haggai, and that's an okay way to pronounce it. Neither way is actually correct. If you're Jewish, it's Haggai or something like that. But um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. Uh, It's going to go down for here. Okay, whatever. I mean, some of you are wondering, okay, Haggai, okay, I mean, I... I called it Haggai for a long time, but when I grew up, we had this book of Grimm's fairy tales, and there was this Haggy woman in this picture, and I always think of Haggy, okay, never mind, but anyway, so Haggai is how we're going to go with it for today, and if you don't know where that is, it's right between Zephaniah and Zechariah. How'd that help you? That's a lot of help, right? Anyway, so it's an Old Testament book. It's very, very short. On my Bible, it's only three pages long, and that's because it's got two pages of notes and commentaries. It's way towards the end. Um, before we get into that, though, I, I, I just want to talk about a sense where culture can kind of start feeling a certain way where, you know, sometimes an entire culture can have an unsettled feeling, um, you know, a sinking feeling. And, and, it, it, and it can filter down at the individual level where people would think, you know, and they'd say about themselves, you know, by this time of my life, I was kind of expecting that there'd be more stuff. There'd be something different. I'm, I mean, by, I thought by now, things would be different. I thought they'd be better. So I'm kind of surprised with where I am right now. I mean, it could be maybe, maybe your college or entering college or you've been in college and um, you thought, you know, when I got to college, I'll know where life's headed. And, and, and yet you didn't have any idea. Still didn't have any idea. Or maybe you're out of college and... You got the degree, and, and you thought, well, since I have this degree, it should pretty well set a path for me, but it doesn't seem to do that. And, and, or maybe you thought, you know, well, if we'll have kids. If we just have kids, that'll give us some signs and directions about where to go with life. And, and uh, they just don't fill the void. You have kids, you just find out you're just busier and broke, right? I mean, can, it's kind of what happens with kids. Nothing wrong with kids. We love kids. Um, but you're thinking, you know, and I, I watch some people, they think, you know, I, I'll just try religion. I'll try religion. And, and we do our religious thing, and it doesn't help us anymore. I mean, and, and we thought, by now, things would be different. By now, things would be better. And, and, and that was the attitude of the entire Jewish culture at the time of Haggai. I mean, they were thinking to themselves, I thought we'd be in different shape than we're in right now. And so let me give you a little bit about a backstory about the book of Haggai. Um, so in fact, I want to start a little bit earlier than that, um, you know, of King Solomon. In the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, 
he, uh, he started construction on this magnificent temple, this beautiful temple, and uh, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, if you look into it at all, you'll find out that certain parts of it were, were the walls were built and then literally lined. The walls, the floors, the ceiling were lined with gold in certain parts of it. I mean, it was a pretty special place. It was known around the world, and people traveled from all over the world to see it, the part that they could see, and to worship God there. It was very, very special. And, um, but after King Solomon died, um, the people's hearts began to turn away from God, and they got distracted, like people do, with um, idols. They started worshiping idols. And, and following that, God allowed a series of events to take place because the people withdrew away from God. They withdrew away from his covering and protection. And hell gets in there and starts doing things when we do that. And the Lord, Lord will always take, Genesis fifty twenty says that the Lord takes things that are meant for evil and he uses them for good. In the New Testament version, it says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? Okay, so things start happening because the people have withdrawn away from God, and um, God's, God's thinking, okay, I'm going to let some of these things take place because what they will ultimately do is get the people's hearts pointed right back to where they need to be. And so I'm going to give you a few of those things, a couple of things to, in, to build this background. Um, one of, first one was this in about the year 587 B.C., a guy named Nebuchadnezzar and his army, he invades the southern kingdom of Judah and destroys the temple. And this defeat that the people experienced was humiliating. I mean, they, 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 they destroyed the city. They grabbed all the people, kidnapped them, most of them, and they destroyed the house of God, which was where they felt they believed that the name of God, God's presence, literally dwelled in the building. Okay, and there's, that's a whole different study I'm not going to go off into, but um, th- they basically stripped away the spiritual identity of the entire culture because their identity was so focused on that temple. And um, so it was a bad deal. Then the second thing, the point that I would want you to be aware of is that the Jews were taken into captivity. And th- this was a captivity that lasted for decades. Decade after decade, they were in captivity. And I think, you know, we can read that little fact and go, oh, okay, so they were carried, off, carried away in captivity, and it's like this line in a story. But it was pretty terrible. They, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe here's, a, here's a modern context for us. Suppose some very powerful foreign enemy decided to invade Washington State. And so in they come, and they say, we're going to nuke your cities and... We're going to destroy your crops and all of your best friends who live somewhere else, we're going to hit their houses too. And they come in and our government says, you know what? We don't want to ignite the next global thermal nuclear thing, so we're going to surrender. And all of a sudden, all of the people who are in government now step down, and maybe some of you like that idea. You wouldn't like the rest of the idea. This other government comes in and everything you know about life changes. There's no longer a Bill of Rights. There's no longer a Constitution. You can't believe what you want to believe. You can't worship how you want to worship. You can't go where you want to go. You pretty much do what they tell you to do. You eat what they tell you to eat. You believe and worship what they tell you. Everything that you and I take as our rights, gone. It's a bad deal. And um, so, um, and, you know, and maybe if you're my age, and you're depending on where you were in the time of the captivity, 
Um, you might have children who are born and raised, and that's all they ever know. They never know freedom. They never know choice. So you can imagine then the relief that was on their hearts, and this is the third uh, point in the history that I'm going to give you. In 538 B.C., about 50,000 people are allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, to the capital of Judah, and then to rebuild. And, and I, you know, they're saying, finally, after decades of this, we get to go back and reestablish and believe and do and pursue. We get to rebuild God's house. We get to have our own place again. And you can imagine how relieved and excited and, you know, the hope that was there. And so the Jewish people go back, and they start rebuilding the temple for God. Now, um, they, they got a ways. They built the foundation. They built an altar. And then the Samaritans, the people living in the area, started to resist them. Now, um, I'm going to take a little bit of a minute for a rabbit trail. Many times when the the issue of the Samaritans, who are the Samaritans? You know, it's kind of confusing. Um, You know that at one point under Solomon that um, all of the children of Abraham, all of the 12 tribes were united under one king. And um, as happens in most family, there's always something that can happen. And the family got into a big split. I'm really compressing this now. And it ultimately split so much that there was two different kingdoms. All right? And um, those two kingdoms um, had two different histories. They had different conquests at different times by different enemies. And in fact, they started believing differently. And the Samaritans were in the northern kingdom. And um, there are still Samaritans today, a very small number of them. They, they pretty much center around one area um, in, I guess it would be the West Bank uh, part of, uh, of that whole con- conflicted area. And um, um, they, 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 they held to... Only the first five books of the Old Testament um, and um, the, the southern kingdom held to the fact that there were other prophets. I mean, there were all these differences, different holy places. And by the time you get to the first century and you read some of the New Testament stories, we, we come up with a story we call the Good Samaritan, which in their context was, how's that possible? There is no Good Samaritan, but it was the Good Samaritan. Okay, that's, that's the, these are the people that we're talking about. They were <laughs> Jewish if you go back far enough in their ancestry, but they were considered enemies, and, and they were just, it was just a bad deal. So they start coming and, and creating some heat. They make it difficult to rebuild the temple. They don't like the fact that they're rebuilding it. They're trying to build it on the Temple Mount. They believe Mount Gerizim is where it's supposed to be. There's all these disputes. They're making it hard to rebuild the temple. And the people who have been released after decades of waiting for the opportunity stopped building the temple. Oh, this is, this is just too hard. It's just too difficult. Must not be the right time because it's not easy to do this. So for about 14 years, roughly, they didn't work on the temple anyway. For 14 years, they stopped. They'd been gone for some five decades-ish in captivity, finally released, spent a little bit of time, and then gave up, and 14 years... And instead of working on God's house, (laughs) they put that project on hold, and they actually started building their own houses. And they built really, really nice houses, and um, they forgot all about God's house. So so God raises up this prophet, Haggai, to uh, talk to the people about this and to say, hey, let's talk about perspective. So we're going to start in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... That's funny to me. These people say the time has not yet come 
to rebuild the Lord's house. These people. I kind of chuckle. <laughs> because most of the time, when you see the Lord talking about his people in the Old Testament, most of the time, he uses the phrase, my people. This is an example, I think, maybe it's not, maybe I'm just twisted, but I mean, this is an example of, you know, when I would come home from work, my kids are grown now, and Lisa would say, do you know what your children did today? <laughs> These people, not my people, and I, you know, do you, I cannot believe what your, what your son did, you know, you know, she didn't really do that. Um, but if my memory serves me correctly, you were there when they were conceived, right? Anyway, so, okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> they're our children. Okay, so God says, these people, but I'm digging a deeper hole, right? Am I? <laughs> Yikes. Can we go for a bike ride today or something? The exercise would be good, you know, the anger. But God says, these people say, the time is not now to build my temple. The time is not now. Now, why do they think the time wasn't now? They thought the time wasn't now because they faced some opposition. The Samaritans opposed them. And all too often, when we face opposition, we think it must not be God's will. It just got hard. It got too hard. It's just too difficult. We need to understand that the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition, especially spiritual opposition. I mean, facing opposition isn't a sign that God's against you. Many times it's a sign that you're doing what God wants you to do. That's why, you know, without becoming arrogant, I don't worry a whole lot when people are against me. I mean, I maybe sometimes should get concerned when nobody's against me because then the question is, am I doing something for heaven? I mean, the moment you start to, to move forward in obedience to God, just make note. I mean, that's re- very likely. There, there is going to be some spiritual opposition that shows up on the way. So when you find yourself following God's will and it starts to get difficult, starts to get challenging, and it often does, I encourage you with one simple thought here. And yes, what you're facing is hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. One simple thought, with God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. You know, God, with your help, enable me, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And because it's really easy. It can be really easy to quit focusing on God and, and start focusing somewhere else. You know, it, it would be hard and right for these people to continue building the temple. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It'd be so easy when, when, when somebody has hurt feelings to hold a grudge, to be angry. But it's hard and right to forgive others, just like Christ forgave you. I mean, it, it, it's so easy to continue spending more money, just buy what you want, just build up debt, you know, but it's hard and right to climb out of debt. It's, it's hard and right to live beneath your means and, and, and to live in a way that positions you in the future so you can be massively generous to other people. It's, it's so easy to give up and just not make a difference. But as followers of, of Christ, with God's help, we, we should choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Then the prophet is going to empower these people, and he essentially tells them the time's right now. 
right now. This is the correct time. And um, so I just want to ask you just for a minute to, um, here's a rhetorical question. Don't respond out loud. Is there some unfinished assignment in your life? Has the Lord spoken to you? With, with, with that in mind, I want you to consider that as a lens for the rest of my comments this morning. Is there something that the Lord, you know, is there an unfinished assignment in your life? You know, it could have been something the Lord spoke to you about yesterday or, you know, a month ago or 14 years ago, and, and you know the Lord put it on your heart. You know, am I supposed to reach out to some person that, and share my faith? I mean, um, ah, but, but that would be hard. That could blow up in my face. It might be really hard. So you choose the easy way out. Or am I supposed to honor the Lord by taking better care of my frame? I struggle with that. I really do. I really do. And, and I can justify it in a hundred different ways, and I do. And that's the easy thing. And it's harder to say, no, I'm on my chocolate limit. There should be no chocolate limit. Broccoli should taste like chocolate, God. <laughs> and until it does, none of it will pass these lips. <laughs> I wasn't saying that to God. That was a cute remark, okay? I never challenge God like that because he'll make me eat broccoli, but... No. <laughs> I mean, or maybe you're supposed to, the Lord has spoken to you, that you're supposed to serve somewhere in the church. And listen, I'm not saying this because we, we're running on low and we're going to blow up. That is not the case. This is healthy. This, is, this sermon is not about a ne- our next building program. That's not what this is about. But maybe the Lord spoke to you. Maybe, may, maybe something as simple as the, the Lord spoke to you and you're supposed to ask her out. And you chickened out. Maybe you're supposed to give something to somebody. There was something that you were supposed to do, and you just didn't do it. And maybe right now the Lord is reminding you what that might be. Use that as your lens for the rest of this, you know, because I, I think, you know, the next verse here will really, it speaks to many people the same way, and, and he, the same way they spoke to people in, in Haggai's time, and he, and he said the time is now, starting in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. <laughs> My dad used to say that. Think about this before you answer, Terry. <laughs> I mean, think about how you're living. Is it, is it time for you to live in these paneled houses when my house is in a life of ruins? And you might wonder, well, what's this deal about a paneled house? That's basically, if you look at it, most commentaries will explain, they, they, it was considered pretty high-end living. This, this, this was them pretty focused on granite countertops and crown molding and, you know, um, best big screen, curved surface TV, all the stuff. And, and here's the deal. God's not against you having nice things. He is not against that. His temple was lined with gold, and he was fine with that. He's against you putting nice things ahead of him. That part doesn't fly in heaven. And at this point, people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house, ahead of God's priority. And I just want to point out, this is, he's not just talking here about the physical building. He's talking about the family, the body of Christ, his household. His household. And he says, give careful thoughts to your ways. So I ask you this question right now, you know, 
Is there an unfinished assignment? And you ask yourself, you know, am I putting my own comfort ahead of his calling? Am, am I trying to make a name for myself instead of trying to make a difference? Am I putting my house ahead of his house? Am I more consumed with myself instead of being consumed with sharing the love of Christ with people who desperately need hope? Is there something that you're putting ahead of God? Give careful thoughts to your ways because God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. I tell you a story that's kind of embarrassing for me to tell you, and I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I know I'm supposed to, you know, but I've been arm wrestling with God about this ever since I've, this came up in my study this week. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've, Lisa and I have been married over 40 years. We wonderful marriage. I love her like crazy. We have three grown kids, and um, she's my best, best friend in the world. And we have this old, old habit of praying over our kids. It started with our firstborn, Ben, and um, we were scared parents to put him on the school bus to go to kindergarten that very first day. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. What can happen to him on the bus? I don't know. A meteorite could hit him here just like there. I don't know. But we decided that we were just too scared, so we prayed over our son that first day of school. Prayed over him. Lord, protect our boy. Bring him safely back to us. I don't know what we prayed. It was something like that. Those prayers became more sophisticated over time, but it was just a prayer of desperation. The next day came, same thing. The day after that, same thing. The day after that, same thing. We had three kids, and I think I can say with certainty that either one of us or both of us prayed over our children every single day before they went to school. And they, uh, they went to public school um, all the way up through high school. Um, and so we prayed over our kids. And Ben, who was the firstborn, you know how sometimes your firstborn gets, they get double what the other kids get? I don't know if that's fair or not. But, um, but with Ben it became an absolute expectation. When he went off to school, he went to the University of Washington, and Lisa and I could hardly stay away from him. We would go to visit him up there, and, he was, and, and we would say, we're coming. And he knew when we were coming, he'd be, um, he would, there was this, it was not a frat house, but it was this house of guys, and it was all Christians. And um, it had a big porch. And when we got there into the U District and we drove in there, he would be waiting on that porch for us. And when we spent time, we spent time with him. It wasn't that, you know, he, he was a, partier. I shouldn't admit that, but I mean, it wasn't about, he wasn't mommy's little boy, but he was waiting for us, and when we left, he stood on that porch, and he wouldn't go back in until we were literally gone out of sight, and, and, and he had an expectation, pray over me. You will pray over me. Okay, that's, he's in his early 30s now, and he and his wife come to our house, and they spend the weekend with us every so often, and we love it, and when they're leaving to go home, they will not go out the front door till we pray for them. It's a wonderful thing. It's today's version of a seedling we planted. Had no idea. And it's now it's like if you go to Spokane or someplace like that, there are these, tree, these streets with these big, huge trees that canopy over. It's beautiful that somebody planted a seed a long time ago and you enjoy it today. And that's what we got today. We've got this thing, you know, this wonderful quality of the seed that we planted in our son. And here comes the embarrassing part. It's time for us to pray over Ben, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. i just lazy. I get selfish. 
Lisa says, yeah, you're not surprised me. I could tell it in your attitude. We haven't talked about this. this. I mean, I don't want to do it. I'm Terry, pastor dude, really seven days a week. And, you know, my days are long. I'm all about the Bible, and I'm all about people, and I'm all about studying the Word. And I just want to be <laughs> regular Terry. <laughs> How's that for transparent? <laughs> I mean, and so I, you know, I drag my feet. Or I say, you go ahead and pray. I'm here, and I'll agree with you. It's stupid. It's the easy wrong. My son wants me to pray over him. <laughs> wow. I bet you plenty of you would want to trade places. You have a child that don't, will not let you mention God to you, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about my stinky, childish behavior in these, you know, I mean, maybe there's something for you that going on and you, and you know you're supposed to do it and God's called you to it and you're taking it. That, this is, I'm telling you one. I'm not giving you my list. That's enough for one Sunday. <laughs> but choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And you know, when I come in, I, 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 I unzip like this and I tell you in church, my wife's listening. She can hardly wait till the next time Ben and Junko come because she wants to see them leave. Not, not for the reasons you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> She wants to see if I'm going to actually live this out, and I'll try. I really will. But, but, but some of you, you you're, you're, there's something the Lord is speaking to you, some simple thing. And, and, and here's, what, here's where the scriptures go because it starts drilling now. I mean, these scriptures can speak to us. Starting in verse 6, it says, you've, you've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You're wearing wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That's worth a study all by itself. But I read that scripture and I think, wow, okay. And I want to translate that into today's vernacular, you know. You work your tail off, but you still don't feel like you're getting anywhere. You know, you're pouring your life into some career, but it still feels empty and hollow. Or you have more than you've ever had before, and you still don't feel satisfied. Or you entertain yourself, you go to games, you, you go to the movies, you, you eat out, and, and the restaurants are fun, but there's still a longing for something more. God says, give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your house ahead of God's house? Is there some unfinished business that God has led you to do, and you're just not doing it? Verse 7 and 8 so cool to me because God is so loving and he's so good. You know, these people know that they should be building the temple, you know, and we don't feel good enough, you know, they're pressing. They're, and, and it's just not going well and there's opposition, it's difficult, it's hard. Watch how um, loving God is. Verse 7, he says, this is what the Lord God, Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. He says that again. Then basically what he's going to do is he's going to break it down into three easy steps or three steps. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains. Two, bring down the timber. Three, build my house so that I may, may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God's saying, this is how much I love you. I'm going to make this simple, okay? Go up to the mountain. Step one, go up to the mountain. Next slide. Go up to the mountain. That's hard. Have you seen that mountain? 
Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Bring down the timber. Well, that sounds hard too. Yep. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Then build the temple step by step. God says, here are the steps. One, step two, step three. And here's the problem. A lot of us will ask, well, okay, but what about step four and five and six? I I need the details, God. I need to have the whole plan. I need the entire plan, all of it, before I, you know, who's going to pay for this? How's this going to happen? Where where are we going to go? Am I going to get a tax write-off for this? I mean, I mean, who, how much time is this going to take? I, I need steps four and five and six. And God's saying, don't worry about steps four, five, and six. I've given you one, two, and three. My word is a lamp. It's a light to your path, Psalm 119. And, and, and because his word is a lamp, it's a, it's a, it's a light into a, a path, he may show us steps one, two, and three, but we're not going to get to see four, five, and six until we do one, two, and three. And sometimes you have to do what God has shown you before he reveals the rest of it to you. And we say, you know, God, I want the details. And, and you know, I, 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 show me. Show me all of it. Lay it all out. And God says, you know, you can't handle these facts. I'll give you what you need when you need it. But you need to take the first step. What do you do? You go up to the mountain. You bring down the timber. You start building my house. Well, I really wouldn't want to get into better shape, but I really don't know what to do. Start eating healthy, get a good night's sleep, and get some exercise. You know, I want to get out of debt, but I really don't know how to start. Well, first off, get some help from somebody who knows what they're doing. (coughs) Spend less than you earn and start paying down your debt. My, My marriage isn't you know, like what it could be, and I'm not sure what to do about it, God. Well, humble yourself. Apologize. You know, do what you used to do. Date. Write love notes. Buy flowers. Kiss and hug. What do I do? I go up to the mountain, I bring down the timber, I build my house step by step. Now, our preference is that, you know, I mean, even maybe our temperament is that, you know, we want to walk side by side with the Lord sometimes when he just wants us to follow. Sometimes he just wants us to follow. I want to know the details, God. I want to know everything. And God's not going to show you steps four and five and six until you take steps one and two and three. And so if you have an unfinished assignment, what do you do? Okay. The way you get started is to quit talking and start doing. (laughs) There's the direct statement of the day. To get started, you quit talking and start doing. And that's, that's it. Just quit. Quit thinking about it. Quit thinking about it and go up to the mountain. Here's something radical. Start it today. Today. Sunday. Do the next thing that God has shown you to do. Do it today. Be faithful today. And it's embarrassing, you know, for me to admit, you know, Because I'm Pastor Terry, you know, that I'm lazy about praying for my son when he leaves. It's 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 not easy to do that. It's just easier to say, you guys pray, I'm right here, I'll agree with you. Hey, I'm a really pretty swell guy in all these other areas. That should be okay, right? I mean, we can justify this like crazy, and I'm good at it. 
But that's so stupid, Terry. I mean, it, it, it's what's easy. But what's right? What's right is for me to be the spiritual leader of my family. God called me to that way before he called me to be the spiritual leader of this family. You know, grab my, what's right is to grab my wife's hand and to seriously approach the throne and say, God, I love my son and daughter. Would you cover them and fill them with life and protect them? Lead them into your ways and the things that the Holy Spirit will put on your heart to pray over your kids will happen in them and you'll plant seeds in them that are really good because the Holy Spirit wants them to hear you pray for them. I'm speaking to myself out loud. You just happen to be. And I'm still working on this, but guess what happens when you start to do the hard right over the easy wrong? Actually, good things happen in the marriage. They do. You know, it's, 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 it's good before, but it's really hard to argue in a marriage when you pray together. It is. It's, it's, it's really difficult to be self-centered when you are others-centered. And it's amazing how you'll spiritually bond when you decide to spiritually bond. And here's the deal. Here's, here's one of the big deals for me. We really have no idea the blessings that God has in store on the other side of obedience. We really don't know what's over there. You might wonder, you know, this might be a challenge in your mind in some ways because you might wonder, well, what if I I do all this and they just don't respond? I mean, they, you know, listen, you are not responsible for the outcome. You're only responsible for obedience. You just do what God called you to do. Out, the outcome is God's responsibility. He's the engineer. You're just the little, you know, worker bee. You do what the Lord called you to do. Obedience is yours. Maybe you, there's some sin that you're struggling with and it's been plaguing you and plaguing you and you're keeping it a secret. It's easy to keep a secret. It's hard to ask for help from someone you can trust that can help you. Maybe you're pretending to be happy. Maybe you're projecting an image. And, you know, you've got everybody around you fooled. It's easy to do that. It's easy to lie. It's hard, to, it's hard and right to say, you know what, I need some real help here. I'm struggling. Maybe God has prompted you at some point to serve in some way, to do something to make a difference. So what you're going to do is choose the hard right over the easy way and choose it today. Today. If there's some unfinished assignment that the Lord has given you, don't make him raise up a Haggai in your life and um, call, call you back. The time is now. The time is now. The time is now. Let's pray. Lord, today, um, so grateful that where we're going to get to in this next couple of weeks is we're going to see some pretty cool things about your loving heart. These, these people who now serve for us as an example and a lesson. Lord, we're every bit as loved by you as we are today. And I'm grateful and it shows in your words some amazing things that are so unexpected as we get into this over the next couple of weeks. But Lord, I want to talk to you right now about a sense that some might feel in here like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I'm supposed to be doing these things and now I feel terrible. Lord, your scripture says this, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So Lord, help us first off to identify the difference between the Holy Spirit saying, come on, Terry, I'm nudging you towards something that's a blessing, as opposed to hell saying, you worm. None of us are worms, we're your kids. And that's an elevated status, way above a worm. Lord, I pray that the that, that people in this room, people hearing these words today, will feel encouraged by your spirit and empowered by your love and that there would be something of life that we carry out with us today because we, we pursue obedience with you, because we just love you, Lord, and you've called us and anointed, and there are good, godly reasons for these things. So, Lord, help us to have courage today. Help, help us, Lord, to have vision today. Help us, Lord, to have the faith today to walk in the steps that you light for us. While our eyes are closed, I just would like to say, if you've never, ever opened your heart to the Lord, there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided. Scripture says that our sin separates us from God. Our imperfection, God is holy. It's not that he's mean. It's that heaven is a wonderful, perfect, wonderful place. And if you bring your unholy, imperfect self into it, it's spoiled. So there's really no way for you to get there. God won't allow it. He sees that and he, and he made a plan. And, and that plan was for his perfect son to come and to pay the price for our sin. Scripture says that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. If you've never done that before, by opening your heart, you do what Jesus told Nicodemus, which is he needed to be born again. You'll become a new person, a new creation. All of your sins will be dealt with by Christ on the cross, and you will then have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've never done that before, it's not about anything about doing something religious. It's about a decision you make to receive Christ and to call on the name of Christ. If you'd like to call on the name of Christ for salvation right now, eyes are closed, but I just want to agree with you in prayer. Would you look up at me, maybe give me a hand wave so I see you, and that's all that I ask. You want to open your heart to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. God, speak to hearts right now. Lord, you are so full of grace and mercy and love. Church, would you stand and sing Christ's song?